But yesterday we looked at the book of Jude. And one of the things that Jude was encouraging us to do, first and foremost, remember the call. Remember the call. Remember that God loves you. It's the most frequent one-word description of the Christian in the Bible. Just remember that you were called from darkness into light, that you have a God that is for you. And so we say the ways in which he was encouraging us to nourish our souls, to be fed, is we said we got to fight for the faith. We've got to fight for our hearts, and we've got to fight for others. And as we fight for the faith, it was he was giving us that history lesson as we look back at what happened to Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah, you have Cain, we had Balaam. And so these are individuals who said, I'm going to get what I can here while I'm on earth. And they had eyes for this earth instead of for heaven and ultimately destroyed them. And then we said, we have to fight for our hearts. We said, we don't need to be a medical doctor to know, hey, if the heart is sick or the heart stops beating, that the rest of the body, things are not going to go well. And in the Christian life, our spiritual heart, if we are not building it up, as Jude talks about, then bad things are going to happen and we're not going to be able to contend in this life. And so with that, that's one of the things we're kind of leaning into today is being built up. And we're going to specifically talk about prayer. Um, It's one of those things that for many of us, we neglect. Um, Just as other things get squeezed out in our busy schedule, prayer is one of those things that's just very easy. And here in the book of Colossians, we're going to be looking at Colossians 1, first 14 verses. Last night, Richie was in 15 through 23. So these are the first 14 verses. And Paul just gives us this great gospel prayer. And if any of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you'll see some similarities to that. Because one of the things that is another question that I get a lot is like, how do I pray? I mean, how do, how do, how, what does that look like? And, and God gives us instruction throughout Scripture um, of what that looks like. And so prayer is one of those ways in which he builds us up. So before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the beauty of your word. And Lord, that you continue to be better to us than we deserve. And Lord, pray that through your word this morning, Lord, that you would give us hearts. Lord, that long to be in prayer. Father, I am at the front of the line of Lord, one who neglects uh, Lord, this aspect of life. And Lord, pray that you would cause us to bend the knee regularly, to come before you. And Lord God, that we would come before you with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God. This is Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognize God's grace and the truth. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He's a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, Since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. The first thing that we see in this gospel prayer is that it begins with a grateful heart. Um, Verses 3 and 4 say this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Gratitude is overflowing right here. It's overflowing in this prayer. And that's what Paul begins with is thanksgiving. And a healthy, vibrant, sustainable prayer life, it begins with thanksgiving. Um, Because one of the things that happens is we need to give thanks because we're not prone to. We're prone to complain. We're prone to say, this is what I don't have. Had a seminary professor who would say it this way, count your blessings, name them one by one. Because one of the things is when we begin to name our blessings, we realize how good God's been to us. And what a grateful heart does is it begins to give us greater joy because we're not as fixed on the things we think we don't have or all the ways that our life is not fair. And as we give thanks, one of the things that we need to give thanks for that that Paul does here is fellow believers. Um, It is a blessing with Christianity that we're not told, go do it on your own. We have others around us that are encouraging us, that are there to strengthen us. As Proverbs talks about, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Is That is a beautiful thing to have fellow believers around us. And for me, this was never more apparent to me than when I started college. Um, I, went to, I started at TCU and ran cross country and track, and so we had to get to school two weeks early. I didn't know a soul there. It was only two hours from my hometown, but I didn't know anybody. And we had practice at 5.15 in the morning. So I was that really cool freshman that was going to bed at 9.30, 10 o'clock to get up for practice in the morning. And that first run, and I grew up, went to a great church, went to a private school where coaches did not curse at me. So that was a new thing, coaches cursing at me. And then I went on that run. I had never heard so many F-bombs, never heard so many just filthy sexual course talk in a matter of 50 minutes. Then in my entire life, I'm kind of like, where am I? What happened? And then I realized there's another Christian on the team. He's injured, so he wasn't running with us. We got to know each other well. He actually lives out here in Denver now, so when I come out here, I get to see him. But that year, we said, hey, let's meet before practice two or three times a week, and let's pray for 10 or 15 minutes. We were praying for the salvation of teammates. We were praying for the salvation of our coaches. We were praying for more Christians on the team. And that next year, it was like the coach had only recruited Christians. <laughs> when we got together to pray as a group before practice, there was 10 to 15 of us. We saw three girl, or two girls and one guy from the team the year before come to know Jesus. And one of the girls, if you would have told me that she would have come to know Jesus, I'd have been like, uh-uh. She was the meanest, just nastiest. I mean, just when you think of that, you know, that girl that is just as mean as they get, that was her. But God grabbed her heart and changed it. And there she was a year later praying with us. Never, to my knowledge, coaches never came to know Jesus, as far as I know. Um, There were plenty of other teammates that didn't. But for me, it was a reminder of the ways in which the Lord 
works through prayer. Was every prayer answered? No. Were some of those prayers answered? Yes. And were some of those that, in a sense, I wasn't even praying for? Because in my mind, I was like, that one girl, she's too far gone. It's not happening. But the Lord showed me, no, 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 no one is too far gone. So those seasons in life, when we have fellow believers around us, enjoy that. Be grateful for that. And that's one of the things you see. Paul is so grateful for this group of believers. And the thing that's funny is this is a group of believers he's never met. He knows them through Epaphras. But because they're fellow Christians, he's, he's so excited for them. So rejoice that God doesn't make us do this alone. So as we pray, pray with grateful hearts. It's going to help us grow and contend in this life. But also be thankful for fellow believers and partner with fellow believers. Pray with fellow believers. The second part of this gospel prayer we see in the first part of verse 5 is that a gospel prayer, it longs for a growing confidence. Verse 5, first part, it says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Confidence, it's a funny thing. Um, It's one of those things that sometimes it can be really strong. Other times, not so much. You know, if you do watch high school or college football for a kicker, when he makes kick after kick, what does that confidence do? Goes up. And if he misses one kick, usually it starts to get a little shaky. And another thing I love poking my Alabama friends about. I love watching a game with them when the kicker comes out. And they're like, no, not the kicker! Because their kicking game is terrible for a team that's so incredible. And so their kicking game, their kicker, they have no confidence in. And then the other thing that's funny is if you think about this, for a guy, when he asks a girl out and she says yes, what does that do for his confidence? Goes up. What does it do if she says no? He may never ask another girl out again. Yeah, I mean, that, that, is how, that is how weak and frail we are, ladies. His confidence is a funny thing like that. So for the Christian, how does confidence, and make sure, I'm not saying arrogance, how does confidence grow when we grasp the reality that our salvation is secure in heaven? That is how our confidence grows. God has given the Christian a hope that will never fail. Have any of y'all read the Jesus Storybook Bible? You love it. And when my kids were younger, we would read it all the time. And so many of those chapters ends, you know, with God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. That is the love that the Father has for us because our hope is secure in heaven. So what does heaven as a Christian's hope? What is that accomplished for us in this life? What's kind of the tangible truth that we can walk away with? One of the things I tell our students often, because it's not on the forefront of our minds, and even as me, someone that's twice their age, it's not always on the front of my mind, we're all terminal. We are all dying. Uh, It could be a car accident that takes us. It could be cancer that takes us. It could be a rare disease that takes us. But we are all dying. I Scripture, I love the miracles. I love the healings. But all those folks that Jesus healed, do they still die? Yeah. Because those healings were pointing to a greater reality, that their heart needed to be healed. Their heart needed to be taken care of. And when we have a healthy perspective that we are dying, and that our hope is secure in heaven, it is so helpful. And right now, that reality is, is there before me. I said I have two boys, third and fifth grade. They love their grandmother a lot. This is my wife's mom. 
We found out two weeks ago that she's been diagnosed with cancer. They don't know yet. When I get back, I've got to tell them, this grandmother that you love so much and loves you so dearly has to go through chemo. She's going to lose her hair. She's going to be a mastectomy. There's going to be radiation. We think the prognosis could be good, but we don't know. And so for them, from a young age, they're going to have to deal with that reality of death. And as much as I want to protect them from that, they need to know that is life. We are all terminal. And when we're terminal, when we realize that, it helps us to realize we can't be perfect. So many of us strive for perfection in this life. Perfection awaits for us in heaven. And one of the things is we want the perfect school. We want the perfect boyfriend. We want the perfect girlfriend. We want the perfect season. We want the perfect job later on. We want the perfect whatever that may be. But this myth of perfectionism or performanceism, it, it, it runs so deep in all the schools we go to, the cultures that we're in, and we're striving for it when our hope is already secure in heaven. And one of the things that I love about the times in which we live is we have so many resources at our fingertips. One of those resources, there's a website called the Gospel Coalition. Great articles to read. Go visit that. This is an article from a number of years ago that shows what happens when people buy in, when Christians buy into this myth of perfectionism. He says this. She was only 26 years old. She was a Christian working in a church. After college, she had served for a year on the mission field. I didn't know her well, but I liked her a lot. She was a strong witness for Christ. She was an articulate spokesperson for evangelical Christianity. This morning, I got the message she had taken her life. I was absolutely devastated. I didn't understand. As if that were not enough, shortly after hearing about her suicide, I got a call from a man who listens to my radio broadcast. He said, I haven't told anybody in the world what I'm about to tell you. I've decided to leave my wife. And I've told God that if I get through to you, I would do whatever you told me to do. I asked him what prompted him to decide to leave her. He said, I became a Christian at 14. And all my life I've been seeking, and catch what he says, to live up to the expectation of others. I work full-time in ministry. I teach the Bible. And everyone thinks I'm the model Christian. I'm just tired of it. I've decided to do something for myself for a change. And then this is a third story, a letter he receives. This individual says, please pray for me as I'm on the edge, a total failure as a Christian. I failed as a husband, as a father. God has probably given up on me. I feel so very alone and abandoned. It's a horrible feeling that words alone cannot describe. Please don't judge me. Pray for me. He goes on to say, at first these three incidents didn't seem related. They were just about individuals for whom I prayed. But in the silence of my prayer, it dawned on me that they all had the same problem. They had all created a false standard of perfection or accepted someone else's standard. And they couldn't live up to it. Most Christians would say, try harder. The problem is all three already had and they were at the end of themselves. And still others would tell them, just have enough faith. And yet they discovered that the faith they needed couldn't be turned on and off like a faucet. Perfectionism or performanceism is a horrible disease. It comes from the pit of hell, smelling like rotting flesh. Someone convinced these folks that they were called to measure up to an unattainable standard. They couldn't do it. And each in his or her own 
way. Quit trying. Nobody told them Jesus was perfect for them. And because of that, they didn't have to be perfect for themselves. They didn't understand that if Jesus makes you free, you'll be free indeed. And I love what he says here. Christian, please remember that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the message of Colossians right there. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because Jesus was strong for you, you're free to be weak. That's so comforting. Because I'm weak often, and later I'm told his power is perfected in my weakness. And he says, because Jesus won for you, you're free to lose. Because Jesus was someone, you're free to be no one. Because Jesus was extraordinary, you're free to be ordinary. I am so grateful for that message. And then the book of 1 Corinthians nails down on this a lot. Paul goes into it. We're nobodies. Society and culture wants to say, make a name for yourself. Be somebody that is tiring, that is exhausting. Jesus was extraordinary. So we don't have to be. So we get to rest in him. And because Jesus succeeded for us, We're free to fail. And so our confidence, it has to be rooted in something outside this physical world because the only way our confidence grows is when it's rooted in Jesus Christ who has made our hope secure. So if our hope is in heaven, we rest knowing we can't obtain heaven by our perfect living. And it reminds us that the earth was never intended to be our permanent home. So the Christian praises God that their hope never fails and prays that we live with eyes fixed on heaven and not this world. The third part of this gospel prayer is that the gospel prayer bears fruit and that it grows. We see this in verses five through eight, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. There's a word that should stir the Christian's heart, gospel. One of the things is, obviously I've lived in Texas, lived in the South. In Texas, one of the things with colleges is we have a lot of hand signals. You know, UT does, you know, hook them horns. The Aggies do this. Texas Tech, guns up. TCU does this. Anybody know what this stands for, for TCU? Horn frogs, do you know why it's this? What does a horned frog do? Spit blood out of his eyes. Blood out of the eyes. It seems so weak, but then you're like, blood out of the eyes. That is awesome. So sometimes football helmets, you'll see these red specks on the football helmets. That's for blood out of the eyes. In the south, it's these sayings, roll tide, hottie toddy, war eagle. And when people say those things, do people in the south just go silent? No. You get these crazy reactions. And the thing is, is because those words are stirring things within them. And when the Christian hears the word gospel, is it should stir things in us far more than any college fan about their university. When we hear this word, it should excite us. Because the thing is, the gospel does so much to us and it does so much to our soul. Because we're reminded that the God who saved this wretch of a man or woman by his grace is the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. And it reminds us that the gospel that changed us, it can also change communities. And it can even change the world. It's one of the reasons why I love RYM, especially Colorado RYM, is because there are so many different parts of the country represented here. And I love the thought that as we all leave from here and we go back to these different parts of the country, 
that the gospel is bearing fruit, that the gospel is at work in these different parts of the country. And we're seeing the gospel change communities. And thus we're seeing the gospel go forth. And so it's such a beautiful picture. So we pray for the gospel to be heard in our communities and around the world. And we pray not only for it to be heard, but for the gospel to be applied in the communities and around the world so we can see it bear much fruit. The fourth part of this gospel prayer is that we want our affections for God to outpace our affections for the world. We see this in verse 9. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. One of the truths about humanity is we know a lot about that which we love. If you ask a Star Wars fan to kind of start talking to you about Star Wars, are they just going to kind of bumble through things like, uh, yeah, there was a movie George Lucas kind of started, that's it. No, they're going to go, they're going to wax eloquently about all of these things. And then if someone loves music or they have a favorite band, are they going to at least know the songs that that band sings? They might even know the touring dates. I've got a buddy back in Alabama, a fellow youth minister. He went to Wake Forest. Wake Forest doesn't have much of a football team, so he's remained an Alabama fan. He knows the team three deep. He can name every position and he knows every player that they're recruiting. Why does he know that? He loves Alabama football. And so for us, if we say we're Christians and we say we love the Lord, aren't we going to know things about God? Aren't we going to desire to want to know more about him? And so that's the thing here is that we're praying that this knowledge, this spiritual wisdom, Lord, grow in me a longing for your word, a longing for your ways that I would desire you. And again, it's another reason why I love the times in which we live Technology, yes, it can be bad, but it can also be so fantastically great. I can listen to sermons from all over the country, all around the world, folks that I love listening to preach. I can read articles. I can read books. And the fact that this, that we have scripture with us for most of us, wherever we go, we can pull out our phones and not only can we read it, but we can have it read to us. Even just a hundred years ago, that would blow people away. And you can think about thousands of years ago when Scripture was so limited. We have so much access. We need to take advantage of it. So let us pray that our affections for God would always outpace our affections for the world. And then the fifth thing in this gospel prayer is that we would walk in a worthy manner. We see this in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Um, one of the things that happens as our knowledge of God grows, it's going to lead to us walking in a worthy manner. The prayer is building. You can see the gospel affects the heart. The heart searches to know God more intimately. And now the heart knows him more intimately. We walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. It goes from the gospel being heard to the gospel applied. And that natural byproduct of the gospel being applied means that we're no longer, as one pastor puts it, we're no longer sitting in the kiddie pool sucking on a bottle. Um, if we were to go to a pool and some of y'all were sitting in the kiddie pool sucking on a bottle, we'd say, hey, something is seriously wrong here. Um, but for many of us in the Christian life, we've just stayed there. We've stayed in the kiddie pool. We've never progressed. We've never matured in our faith. And we don't mature and progress in our faith so that God loves us, but it's out of a response of God loving us. And so there should be this desire 
to want to know more about this God, to go from the kiddie pool to the big pool in a sense, to go, you know, in a sense from drinking milk to eating solids. So the Christian prays that the Spirit would sanctify them over time so they walk in a manner that glorifies the Father. The sixth thing that we see from this gospel prayer is that a gospel prayer produces joy that leads to endurance. Uh, Verse 11 says this, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Um, Pain's going to come. Uh, Some of you have already experienced very difficult things. If you haven't, they're going to be there. And this is not a happy-go-lucky thing, but there is a joy that we can have in all seasons of life. Um, in Christianity, that's the great thing I love about it. It is honest. It is not, hey, come become a Christian and then all your problems go away. Come become a Christian and on this earth you live happily ever after with no more pain. No, it tells us there will be pain. Because as we said earlier, the Lord never leaves us. The Christian's hope will never fail. And so we get to know that God is with us in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the trials. Because the thing is, most of us, had a bad day. Most of us have probably had a bad week. And for some of us, it's maybe been a bad month or months that we've had. And to know that God is with us. He has never left us. Because at this point, I imagine at least some of you, you probably had friends that have left you. You know, when they found something out about you or they found someone else who maybe could offer them more than you, maybe you've been dumped, whatever it may be, is you've experienced those things. And to know that, hey, there's someone that will never leave us. And some of you know that even deeper pain of a parent who's never been there. That is not our Father. Our Heavenly Father is always with us. So the Christian prays for endurance over zeal because it's endurance that produces this sustainable joy, even as things hurt. The seventh thing that we see from this gospel prayer is that it removes pride. Verse 12 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and life. The Christian never walks with a swagger. Um, we have nothing to be arrogant about. Um, Ephesians 2 kind of states this clearly. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. I thought Richie's example last night of his kids in the house was such a beautiful example because it would be ridiculous for his kids to stand up and say, look at my house, look at what I got, this is what I did, this is what I produced. No, that would be silly. But for many of us, we are constantly saying, look at me, look at what I've done. What the Bible tells us, we were talking about earlier, Jesus was perfect for us, so we don't have to be perfect. So we rejoice in what God has done. And so we don't, and as we were talking about yesterday, too, I love Reformed theology. And for me, we love being a part of the Presbyterian church. But we've got to be on guard, again, that our heads don't become big and our hearts small. And I love, again, what Richie said, too, in regards to a lot of us would think Jesus would be the teacher's pet. No, no, no. Jesus would be the kindest. He would be the one with the most humility in the classroom. And do those things mark our lives? Does humility mark our lives? And humility, don't mistake that humility is not being quiet. Humility is, am I thinking of others before myself? So we, we realize 
our goodness, when we realize our goodness doesn't qualify us, we can come before the throne boldly. And we can ask, as Hebrews talks about, boldly. Because it's not anything we've done. It's entirely what Christ has done. So the Christian prays for a heart that is broken by their sin, but overwhelmed by, re- by God's relentless love for us. The eighth and final thing that we see in this gospel prayer is that we get to rejoice that God has made things new now, but that he's going to make all things new one day. We see this in verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Um, the transformation. I love a transformation. Um, there's, a ch- uh, there's two channels, but there's really two channels I watch on TV, cable TV now. One is ESPN. The second is some that most guys probably don't admit to that, HDTV. Love HDTV. I will watch House Hunters. I will watch Fixer Upper. I watch Property Brother. I love it. It is fantastic. And one of the reasons I love it, I grew up in a house, I grew up in a house that real estate was what my dad did, but I love the transformation. And so many of those homes that they go into, you know, in a sense, if, if I, you know, when I just got married, if I took my wife and said, hey, come look at this house, this is what we're going to move into, she would have slapped me silly. Because they're hideous, they're terrible. Sometimes there's dead things underneath the floorboards or there's squatters living there. But what happens by the end of the show? It's a show place. My wife's like, yeah, we're moving in now, let's go. It's incredible. And, and it's there's something within us that loves that transformation, whether it's a house or one of the things that we also love to see is we love to see like weight loss stuff. Here's the before, here's the after, or a makeover. Here's the before, here's the after. There's something within us, and it goes back to this, is we know within our hearts that we need to be transformed, that we are not okay as we are. And that's what Paul is after here. And Paul continues with this theme of praising God for what God has done and the transformation that takes place as he takes us from darkness to light. And so even for the unbeliever here, you know, you may be curious to know this God who takes you from darkness to light. What does that mean? It means that all of those bad things we've done, all of those things that we've struggled with, that we have a God who has taken all of that for us and has given us a hope, as we talked about earlier, that is secure in heaven. And we can rejoice. So the transformation, praise God for it. Give thanks for it if you are a believer. If you are not a believer, pray for that transformation to take place in your life because it is one of the greatest joys in the Christian faith. That's why I love hearing testimonies. One of the things, Presbyterian Church, I get to serve on this committee. It's called the Candidates and Licensures Committee. And all of the men, they're thinking about coming under care of Presbytery, and that they are thinking, hey, I want to be a minister one day. We get to hear their testimonies. Do you think all those testimonies are the same? <laughs> no. They, they, they are all over the place. And that is what is so beautiful about our God is he takes folks from all different places and shows himself to, to them. And I love getting to hear that, the transformation. So again, rejoice in the transformation. Give thanks for the transformation and rejoice that one day, the new heavens, the new earth, all things are gonna be made new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for that. We thank you for the transformation. Lord God, that we know that you have taken us from darkness to light. And Lord, if there are those that don't know you, pray that your grace would overwhelm them for the first time. And Lord, that as fellow believers, Lord, that you would strengthen us. 
Lord God, that you would, Lord, remind us of how good you have been to us, and Lord, that you would give us hearts that long to be in prayer. Father, that we would come before you boldly, making those requests known, that we would see you do great things as the gospel is being heard and applied in our communities. Lord, that there would be more individuals that know you this time next year in our communities because of what you have done through us. Lord God, we thank you that you sustain us. Get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.